We knew the day was coming, the cool days getting warmer, the light in the sky lasting longer. Summer was coming, and with it, the heat. It was palpable. As you may remember from earlier episodes, our 1847 cottage has such good tree cover, circulation, and a ceiling fan, we didn't even bother to have air conditioning the first five years. Sure, there would be two to three unbearable days, but it was an adventure. My father, of course, thought it was ridiculous, and eventually we gave in and got a small window unit for the bedroom, which we named after him, Lenny. The summers have gotten more intense, so last year we also bought a huge unit for the dining room window. Takes care of the entire house. It's so heavy, though, it takes at least two people to carry it. It has to be installed on a guardrail out the window. So as the days got warmer, we knew it was time to move both units into place. I have a bad back and even worse body strength. And yeah, I don't want to deal with it. Our previous handyman, Joe, probably one of the most important people in my life after Brian, has gotten MIA, which is unfortunate. He had a common thing up here. People ghost you after an estimate, a first job, a second job, a third. They disappear, move, or worse, are too busy for your piddling little job, and you're screwed. Is there an app for that? Yes, there is. Brian used an app called Handy to find someone to help us with this important, time-sensitive, and very heavy errand. After three reschedules, yeah, that happens a lot too, a guy and his girlfriend arrived. Under Brian's close supervision, they moved the two units from where we store them under the house into place in the windows. The bedroom unit, Lenny, snapped right back into action. Woohoo! The big dining room unit, well, we got it in, but it didn't work when we turned it on. Like, did not turn on. We were like, oh, come on, this thing is so new. We only used it for one season. Why do they have to break so fast? Maybe the handy people broke it while moving it. It's still under warranty, so Brian called the manufacturer and they agreed to send someone out during the week. Clearly, we were in a race against time, so I was very pleased to be home working when our hero, Sandy, shows up in her van to see what's wrong with the supersized unit. I was also stressed out over it, frankly, because even if we didn't have to pay for the repair, there's probably a part to order or some other delay that would happen. The global supply chain is clearly screwed up, and I'm sure whatever we needed was still stuck in the Suez Canal. Sandy is friendly, perky, drove across the river, and as she tells me, a problem solver. She's been doing this for 30 years. I explain the story of the AC and bring her one of my very many battery-powered lanterns for extra lighting and leave her to her engineering work. She takes off the case and puts her toolbox on the floor. As she peels away layers of the unit to inspect, I'm as helpful as I can be, interrupting her every five minutes to offer coffee, provide a fun fact about air conditioning, such as the inventor of air conditioning was Willis Carrier, who went to Cornell, and I offer another lantern for supplemental lighting. But then I hear from Sandy, aha. Now, aha is the good news, bad news of home engineering. It means I found it, and it means something's wrong, which we know is true, but still. Sandy says, why don't you come over and see this? And I say, Sandy, of course I will. She points to two plugs. See that mark, she says. I say, yes. She says, that's the thermostat and that's the main power cord. And I say, oh, I see. Even though this is the first time I've ever looked beneath the grill of an AC unit, and I wish things were labeled. 30 years ago myself, I worked in the early internet, helping run a small internet service provider called NYCNet. You know, one of those companies you'd pay for internet access and use our software to connect to a modem? I'd be at the office all the time when people would call up with problems, usually stupid ones, but still the internet was new, so who can blame them? Todd, who ran it, taught me the term PBCC, problem between chair and computer, to describe that the tech was fine, 
was the person missing something, a synapse, a piece of information, or a clue. I say this because PPCC is what I thought of as Sandy pointed out the two chords that she had taught me about, since of course it didn't matter what they did, but that they were not plugged into the holes where they lived. Sandy put her hands on her hips and looked at me warmly. Honey, you know you have to plug it in. Oh. I'm Matt Zucker, and this is Cityit, learning to live and love life in the Hudson Valley. Episode 48. There are always chores to do, especially at season changes, like putting in the window air conditioning units, or washing down the anironic chairs before people come over for a sit-down in the garden. Bird poop is gross. In the city, there was usually a super to-do stuff, or I felt like I was always in motion, busy working or going somewhere, so I didn't do it myself. Being a city it isn't just being new somewhere and bringing the wrong headset to the country. Yes, it is. But being a city it is also being a moron about how to do the very basics and living in a house, living on your own, even homesteading, like our content partner and friend Chicken Librarian teaches. Housekeeper number six quit recently to move to Brooklyn for a new job, so we're back to cleaning ourselves, which when you're both home all the time, you really need to do often. While I'm quite proud of my ironing skills, you should see the napkins I do for dinner parties, mopping the floor is not one of my strengths. Our kitchen door is the main door to the house, so everything traipses through. Dirt, leaves, dust, dirt. I'll first sweep and sweep, which goes fine picking up most of the junk, but then I spend 20 minutes trying to get the mop head on the pole, only to have it fall off on the ground. I fill up the mop bucket with hot water and soap. Then when I start to do the squishies, well... It just doesn't make any sense to me. I squish volumes of soapy water onto the floor and it just runs everywhere. Am I supposed to drain it first or is that afterwards when the mop is dirty? There's a YouTube video on how to mop a floor properly that has 227,000 views. I didn't realize mop water has a name. Mop water. I watched the beginning three times to see that yes, he does drain the water quickly before hitting the floor, not after like I've been doing. My mother is listening to this, and I can hear her shake her head at how little I know. I can feel all of you do that, actually. What the video does not cover, however, is what you do with the wet mop head to dry it out. So I put it outside on the deck in the sun, but it's disgusting. I'm not even sure I want to throw it in the washer later. Actually, there are like 20 videos on YouTube about how to mop properly. I found another one with 600,000 views from Clean My Space called Everything You Wanted to Know About Mops But Were Afraid to Ask. This one's more about choosing a mop with a few tips at the end. I didn't realize there were so many options. The yacht mop is the name for the old-fashioned string mop or deck mop. The mop lady said it's been around since the 1400s, but she did not name her source. Sponge mops are hard to clean, but great for cleaning walls. Hmm. Microfiber mops are more of a modern, all-purpose version of the yacht mop. Seeing all these how-to videos and the thousands of views is very comforting. It's not just me. This episode of Cityit is lucky to be sponsored by Bangleworks Coworking and Community Building in Stanfordville, New York. Nestled in the historic hamlet of Bangle, the comfortably designed space offers memberships for open plan workspaces, private workstations, and special events and meetings both inside and outside. Bangleworks offers daily, part-time, and full-time memberships and provides high-speed internet, printer and scanner, kitchenette, package delivery, receiving, and more. All roads lead to Bangle. 
just minutes to Clinton, Millbrook, Pine Plains, Rhinebeck, Millerton, and Sharon, Connecticut. Visit bangleworks.com or email info at bangleworks.com and tell them City it sent you. Now back to the episode. The garage is an important room in your life in the country. At least I found it to be. Interestingly, a lot of people don't actually have them. Maybe some of the houses are too old, but the new ones? I mean, did they forget to build a garage? Our friends Tom and Jamie had to add one on. Ours is a two-car detached garage, which at first, with our one car, a lot of extra space. We stack firewood along the back, we built a pantry of shelves, we got an extra freezer, and have bins labeled for nearly everything, including party supplies. Now getting a second car has made the garage more crowded. So Brian found a company who builds sheds and installed a garden shed this past week, nestled in the trees just beyond the garage in the back lawn. These two guys showed up, and like a show on HGTV, we just watched it go up in one day. It's terrific. And now we just have to stain it black like the other buildings. Brian is calling it the tool library. I'm thrilled, because now it means Brian can get his gardening crap out of my garage. I mean, now it's so hard to navigate. I have to struggle to access my backup emergency water or the gluten-free crackers bin. That's no way to live. And now that I'll have more room, I have big plans. The walls all along the sides are great canvases, so I've been planning to add hooks to hang things like my bike helmet, recyclable shopping bags, and a broom in a dustbin. Here's where it gets complicated, though. I went to the hardware store and bought hooks that screw in the wood along the walls, so now the problem is getting them into said wall. The good news is that I have a drill my brother-in-law and sister gave me long ago, which is somewhere, probably behind the cracker bin. But I have questions, like do I first drill the holes for screws, or screw the screws in with my hand? Do I nail them in? I seriously do not know. Looking around the garage more, it gets worse. There's stacks of nearly not quite empty paint cans, maybe 30 to 40 of them, along the edges, taking up a lot of space. Sample size cans, quart size cans, gallon sizes. I just want to blink bewitch style for them to disappear, but I don't know if they're toxic or not. Some you can't throw out. So back on YouTube, DIY Dave says you can dry out water-based paint with kitty litter, or I just learned, use a paint hardener and then throw it out in the trash with the lids off. In the garage is our new second car, the Mini Electric. It's adorable, drives like a golf cart. We plug the car into the garage outlet every day. And obviously, when one takes it out, you unplug the car. This past week though, I was taking it to the train station. The plug wouldn't unplug. I squeezed the grip like I always do, but it would not come out. I could hear my heart rate elevate. Did I break it? Was it stuck? Will I be late for my train? Well, it took me a while until I realized it was a PBCC, problem between car and country. It was me. I needed to have the key fob on me. The car wouldn't let you unplug it unless your key was within range to assure you it was your car. This is a safety issue. Very modern. It's even city proof. So our content partner, Chicken Librarian, has a lot to say about mistakes, starting with not calling them mistakes, but glitches on your way to learning something. This makes sense whether you're a homesteader, a wannabe homesteader, or just a DIY person trying to get something done. She crafted a post for this episode all about it called The Learning Curve, which you can find on her blog at chickenlibrarian.com learning hyphen curve. She'll give you a couple tips on research and about chickens as predators. Yes, you heard that right, chickens as predators. So visit chickenlibrarian.com for the Learning Curve blog post, and you can also check out her homesteading classes, private and group. I've been on a learning curve myself producing this podcast. 
Anchor has made it super easy to publish, and I found some good software like Riverside and Descript for recording and editing. Hopefully you're hearing a difference. Same is true for my book. I did my own publicity and I created my own publishing imprint, Cityit, but I was smart to hire a professional designer for the cover and branding, and then tap others as readers for editing and proofreading. This past month, I've been trying to record an audio version for release on Audible. I spent hours to record and then upload, only to get warning symbols. The uploads were in taking. I tried two different audio engineers that I found through Slack groups, and then Brian suggested that I should just see if the radio station up here would let me do it there. So that's what I've been doing on Saturday mornings, in a more professional recording studio with the professional production manager. It takes time. It takes missteps. Or glitches, like Chicken Librarian says in her blog post. Learning curve is just that. It's not a straight line. It's a curve. Speaking of learning curve, I'm a complete idiot. Our friends Chris and Greg just explained to Brian and I that we've been pronouncing the name of the local farm we go to and talk about constantly, incorrectly, for about six years. Greek Farm, spelled G-R-E-I-G, is pronounced Greg Farm. Greg Farm. We've been calling it Greg Farm. To make amends for offending your ears, I'm looking to dress your heads. I'm trading free caps for comments. Just write a clever or detailed review in the Apple Podcast Store about Cityit for your chance to win a Cityit trucker cap with the iconic baby goat. Free, including shipping in the U.S. or local drop-off. I'm doing this through the last day in June, so please rate and review us soon. It helps people discover us. Thanks for listening to Cityit. I still might be a PBCC, problem between city and country, but you, dear listeners, are definitely part of the solution. Come visit. <laughs>